So, for those of you who have not been here the past couple weeks, uh, tonight is going to be a little bit different. We've put together a panel, and we are going to do a time of question and answer. Um, we actually asked for questions for probably the past month or month and a half or so, and we got a bunch of questions in. So we have a list of questions that we're going to go through. Uh, what this is going to look like is I'm going to um, speak the question out, and then they'll actually put the question up on the slide, um, up on the projector, so that you guys can keep track of what question it is that they're answering. And we're going to try to limit everything to two minutes. That might be a little difficult, uh, <laughs> but I guess that's my job to try to keep them on task. I didn't get a ruler or anything to whap them with, so you guys are going to have to be my backup on this one. So, <laughs> yeah, time clock. I think we do have a a ticker down there for everybody. So, um, like I said, we've got some questions that you all wanted answered. And with that, we're just going to get right into it. Um, I would suggest, because everything is going to be done kind of quickly, um, to take notes. Um, there will probably be some scripture references. You're going to be like, ooh, what was that again? Um, so go ahead and jot those down as, as the pastors rattle those off, but always we'll have the podcast available for you if you wanted to go back and, and listen to this afterwards. So without further ado, our first question of the night is regarding tithing. Should that be done before or after taxes and other deductions? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, you guys probably want to know who these people are. Thank you. All right, so for our panel, we have Pastor Merle, Pastor Bernie, Pastor Josh, and Pastor Jake. So I'll answer this one on uh, tithing. I think we all know that tithing really is our expression of worship. It's our expression of love. It's our expression of his lordship. And we all know that God owns it all. So when we talk about giving and tithing, tithing really is from the Old Testament as well as the New, but it, it always has to do with the first. It's the first fruits. It's the best. So when you think of the first, um, I would say that that means the whole deal um, because many other places in the New Testament, it talks about giving, well, you give, and with what measure you give, it'll be given to you. So if you want the best return, then you should give the greatest amount because it's like what you sow, you reap. And, you know, obviously tithing is only a beginning of our expression for love. So when you think about 10% being the tithe, actually, like Pastor Duane says practically every week, it's tithes and offerings. So 10% really is just the beginning point. And so I would say, if you want to really be blessed on the whole deal, give 10% from the gross. All right. Thank you. We did very well with time on that one. Awesome. <laughs> All right. We're off to a good start. All right. The second question is, are there such things as guardian angels? Do you see any? No. I'm trying to be. I'm trying to lighten up a little bit. So laugh with me here. Thanks for for that. Guardian angels. Um. So I. So I was. As this question came in, and I was thinking about it. Um, and to be honest, I didn't really know. 
Um, we obviously hear about guardian angels. One of my favorite movies is uh, Emperor's New Groove. Anyone? Anyone? So there's like, you know, there's like the shoulder, the shoulder angels, and there's like this angel over here who's a, a mini cronk, and he's talking to him, telling him to do the right things, and you have the little demon self that's telling you to do the wrong things. But guardian angels, and so as I was um, kind of looking through the Bible and, and, and kind of researching this a little bit, Ryan and I were talking about it this morning, um, or this afternoon. There's different types of angels. Um, that angels have different jobs or different, you could say, job descriptions. And so throughout uh, Scripture, we can see different types of angels. If you remember the story of, of, of Mary, she's visited by an angel, Gabriel, who came bringing um, good, good news or a messenger angel. Um, and then later on, in Revelation 8, it talks about an angel who carries prayers up to the throne room of Jesus, and, he, and, they, and they carry the prayers of the saints. And so you have uh, angels who, who carry the prayers. Um, and, then, and then in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve have sinned, you see in, uh, the cherubim, who are the angels who guarded the Garden of Eden. And then in Isaiah 6, there's seraphim who... Are, are angels who perform like priestly duties. So throughout scripture, and there's, there's much more types of angels, and another type is a guardian angel, which is uh, found in Psalm 91. Um, and it, it talks about, in Psalm 91, it says, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. And so what, what I believe scripture points to is that there are guardian angels, but there might not necessarily be a personal guardian angel for each person, but instead a, a host of guardian angels who watch over who watch over us. All right. I feel like I, I got to look at a giant board and go, survey says? <laughs> I guess not. Okay. We just, <laughs> we're just going with that. So, all right. The third question we have for tonight is, should women be in leadership or head pastor of a church? Not everybody at once, right? <laughs> I've chosen to take that question. Maybe I used to have a death wish. I don't know. Um, there's two questions there. It says... Should women be in leadership or head pastor of a church? I'll address the first one. Should women be in leadership? Absolutely. Absolutely women should be in leadership. They're gifted. They're smart. They're strong. They're great leaders. Women should be in leadership. Not a problem. Okay? Absolutely. Totally. Um, no, no issues at all there. Uh, we are created equal. And God made us that way. We do have different roles and functions in different places, um, but we're definitely equal. And uh, should, should a woman be the head pastor of a church? There are many people that have no problem and feel that that's just fine. Um, we, as a, as a church, believe that the head pastor should be a man biblically. And uh, so in our circles and in our churches, the head pastor of the church will be a man. Um, not because the women's not capable, not because they're not able, it's because that is God's principle and God's plan uh, for his church. And the scriptural basis for that is, the, the starting point anyway, 
is a, a woman should learn in quietness and submission. Does it, um, and Paul says, I do not permit a woman to, to uh, have authority over a man. And here he says she must be silent. I know that was a specific, uh, talking to a specific group of people. But there's the principle of the lead pastor is that of a father guardian. And um, as such, we have taken the position that a man should be the lead pastor of a local church. So, Pastor, do you want to add anything else to that, or did I? We're good. Okay. We got to go ahead. Anybody else want to add anything to it? Okay. You know, just, just remember that there are a lot of biblical examples of women who were in leadership throughout the Bible. Um, leaders of Israel, um, all throughout there. We do see the majority of time the leader was a male, but there were many examples of that. And so if you're looking for that, we don't have time to put all the references, but there are quite a few. Mm-hmm. Great. All right, next question. How do I honor my husband who is an unbeliever? Okay. I'm going to take that one too. And that's uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husband. If any of them do not believe the word that they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wife. When they see the purity and the reverence of your life, your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as braided hair or wearing of gold or fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, unfading beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. And um, that's the scriptural admonition. The question was, how do I honor my husband who's an unbeliever? By loving him like Christ loved the church. By respecting him, not being a doormat, and not allowing him to treat you terribly, um, but by respecting him and by loving him with word and deed. That's, that's, that's how you honor him. Cool. And I can actually add to that from experience. Um, my wife was saved prior to me, and uh, I was not necessarily in a good place. Um, but if it wasn't for her prayers and uh, her willingness, um, she's the one that asked if I'd be willing to get prayer here at church and come to the healing room. Um, and that's where I got saved. Um, so if it wasn't for, for her willingness, there were other people praying for me too. But um, she was the one that was crying the tears and calling the prayer lines at night. Um, so that's a very, very real scenario. Um, all right. Let's see, where are we? Okay, next question. Do our pets go to heaven? Wow, huh? We all love our pets, don't we? No, I think the answer to that is, is that only man is created in God's image. And, you know, man is separated from all other creation in the fact that we have a spirit. And the Bible makes it pretty clear that, you know, it's not flesh and blood that inherit the kingdom of God, uh, heaven, but it's that it says very clearly in John that you need to be born of the water and of the spirit. And uh, I don't think my dog's going to be born of the spirit. <laughs> so as much as we love our dogs and as much as we care about them, um, there's a definite difference between man and animals. And it even talks about that he gives man dominion over everything. So 
us being created in God's image sets us in a completely different spot and having a spirit and having the ability to be, to be born of the spirit because we know, like in Thessalonians, it says that we're sanctified body, soul, and spirit, and it sets us in a completely different category than our, our pets, even though we love them. So I'd say, nope, my dog ain't going to make it. Uh, the Bible does talk about animals being in heaven, horses and many other different animals, the lion laying down with the lamb and the millennial reign and all of that. So it's not that, that there is no more animals. It's just talking about the enduring spirit of, you know, your dog, your great-grandpa's dog, etc. Thank you. I was going to ask that. Glad you said that. And we had time left, so we could go there. So, all right. Uh, next question for tonight is what is the one sin that Jesus will not forgive? Check, check. Check. And I'm back on. I'm back on. So the, the one sin that Jesus won't forgive. So this is... Um, this is something that I've um, talked to quite a few people about. Um, it's the one sin that, that, that Jesus won't forgive. It's found in Mark 3. Um, it's referred to as blaspheming the Holy Spirit or blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I actually had a good friend of mine who, um, who went through a phase in his life where he constantly, he had read that verse and he was constantly worried, worried, worried um, day in and day out about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So he was living a life out of fear of not doing the one sin that would eternally um, cast him or eternally separate him from God. Thank you. And this is, uh, I want to give some context to, to the verse that it speaks about in Mark 3. So it says, Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven, the sons of men. So this is Mark 3. And whatever, uh, and whatever blasphemes they utter, or blasphemies they utter. So Jesus is saying, all sins shall be forgiven, the sons of men, all the blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Because, this is verse 30, they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. So you have the context of Jesus was casting out demons or unclean spirits, and um, there, were, there were people who were claiming that Jesus was actually um, carrying an unclean spirit or that by demonic spirits he was casting out evil spirits. And, and so you have this picture of Jesus casting demons out, people saying, no, that's actually an unclean spirit. So what is this, this sin that is unpardonable? And what you realize is Jesus was actually claiming I am the Messiah. Jesus was claiming, I am God, and they wouldn't believe it. They wouldn't believe it. They said, no, you can't be God. You can't do that. And so, although it is blaspheming, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, what I believe, which you guys can chime in, really the unpardonable sin is unbelief. It's unbelief. Because if you think about it, God will forgive our, all of our sins. He'll forgive our adultery. He'll forgive, he'll forgive our murder. He'll forgive everything. But the one sin that God will never forgive is us not believing in Jesus Christ. So the one unpardonable sin 
is blaspheming the Holy Spirit, and I can't say this definitively, but it's also, it could be interpreted as unbelief. So would you say that it's safe to say if somebody's extremely concerned that they've done it, chances are they haven't? Totally. Yeah, you can expand on that. I agree. I think that, you know, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is who does the Holy Spirit bear witness to? The Holy Spirit bears witness to Jesus. The Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus, like Jake is saying. So over a period of time, if you harden your heart against the conviction and the testimony of the Spirit of who Jesus is, uh, that's, that's it. Because, um, you know, like we said when we were talking, you know, as long as you're breathing like the thief on the cross, you probably have a chance, you know, of still confessing Jesus. But um, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the rejection of Jesus Christ being the only means to salvation. Yeah, yeah that's good. Okay, moving on to the next question. Um, is it okay for divorced Christians to remarry? All right. <clears throat> Quick answer, sometimes. But here's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It says, are you loosed from a wife? And it's speaking to, to Christians that just talked about some people who were abandoned and loosed. It says, are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. So from this scripture, we obviously see that it is possible, at least under some circumstances, for a person to be divorced and then remarry without being in sin. When we go to Matthew chapter 19... We have the story when the Pharisees came to Jesus and they wanted to trick him. They always wanted to trick him. So they were trying to give him a really hard question. And they came in there and said, Jesus, can we divorce our wives for any reason? And the Old Testament had said you could divorce your wife if you gave a reason, just if you were displeased. So history tells us that they figured out anything as a reason. She could have burnt the toast. In fact, according to Jewish um, understanding a woman was unclean at least once a month so every 28 days they could they had a reason to divorce their wife and they were doing that and then marrying someone else and so Jesus answered them and he said what God has joined together don't separate and then they're like oh my goodness oh my goodness that's just too much well if that's the case why did God tell Moses that he could give the Israelites permission to divorce each other and he replied and he said it is because of the hardness of your hearts. But in the beginning, it was not that way. In other words, God had it planned that any marriage could survive if both hearts would stay soft. But because hearts get hard, it was a necessary evil to make that possible. And then he says this, he says, but I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. And what he's saying to them, so he says, obviously it's possible to divorce and remarry and that be an act of, of adultery. I think a perfect example is kind of what the Pharisees were bringing to him. So, hey, can I just ditch my wife for any reason? Let's just say, I see someone I'd rather be married to. I don't want to commit sin. I don't want to commit adultery. So, you know, I wait till she burns the toast. I divorce her. And then I go get with this person and I've done it all Right, I am not in sin. And Jesus is saying, fake news, that doesn't work, that's not true, you have adultery. And he also went on to say, lust in your heart is adultery. And um, 
1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14 through 15, talks about um, how divorce is permitted in the situation of um, abandonment. And I think it's very important to realize, why do Christians, if, if this is, why is this sin treated so differently than so many others? Because we look at so many and, we say, and they just say, oh, I'll get forgiveness for, for robbing a bank. I can get forgiveness for killing somebody. But why is it that Christians seem to think that there's no forgiveness for divorce? And I'll tell you what that is. It's because Christians have mistakenly understood. They misunderstood. The Bible says God hates divorce, and that's true. What they think they read is that God doesn't recognize divorce. And if you, if you make that confusion, then you think that every person is still married to their original spouse. And if he didn't recognize divorce, then everybody who was ever married before is perpetually married and perpetually consider committing adultery with someone else if they were to remarry. But we see when in uh, John chapter 4, verse 17 and 18 is when Jesus went and talked to the woman at the well. And if you remember, he prophetically told her about his life. He said, you have been married five times and the man that you're living with now is not your husband. Now, if Jesus only recognized the first marriage as being valid, he would have said, you were married once and you've lived with six other guys. <clears throat> That's not what he said. He said, you were married and divorced and remarried five times. And this guy that you're living with, I'm not going to call that a marriage because you never married him. That's not it. So we recognize that God does, does recognize divorce, but God hates divorce. God has a better plan, and that better plan is that our hearts remain soft, but as we know, God does not force people to accept him as savior. He does not force people to, to remain soft-hearted to their spouses, and there are situations in which people don't have the other choice. If their spouse takes off on them, if their spouse is unfaithful to them, the Bible makes clear exception for that, but it's never God's best for them. Mm -hmm. He hates divorce because of what it does to people. Yeah, and I think one, one point of clarity, too, um, not from what you said, is just sometimes people hear that different. We all have our own lenses that we hear things. And so I just want to point out, God hates divorce. He doesn't hate the people involved with divorce. Does that, does that make sense? Just wanted to point that out. I felt like that was for somebody here tonight. So, um, thank you. That one's that one's a hard one. So we gave that a little bit, a little bit more time. We actually we were talking about it earlier today, and it ended up being like a half an hour. We started getting into a whole bunch of stuff, and it was, it was fun. I'm like you got to be kidding me! I've never heard that before. <laughs> it was good. Trust me. Maybe we'll have him write a book or something someday. But, okay, moving on to the next one. Let's see. Where are we? Um, Oh, this one, this one is good. This is a good one. I had never thought of this until I heard this question. It says, would Jesus resemble Joseph and or Mary based on genetics, or is he 100% pure from inception by a specifically formed egg by God? All right. I promise this will be way shorter. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 24 and, and uh, 25 says, Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. And he did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son. In other words, Joseph had nothing to do with it. Nothing. However, so 
Jesus would not have resembled Joseph genetically, other than they were both Jewish, and they could have resembled each other in that regard. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God is talking to Adam and Eve, and they have just sinned, and he says to them, he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, talking to the serpent, and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. From the very beginning, God made it very clear that when the Messiah came, he would be a descendant, he would be the seed of the woman. Over and over we see, you know, the Bible makes a big deal about the fact that David is in the Messiah's lineage and others are in the Messiah's lineage. So, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, it says, Therefore, in all things, he being Jesus, had to be made like his brethren. So Jesus was human. He was called the son of man because he was genetically part of her. I have got several kids. Some of them resemble me. Some of them don't, uh, but they're mine. And so um, I can't tell you how much he resembled Mary, but I can tell you he was her descendant genetically. Have any of you ever thought of that before? No? (laughs) Chet's like, no way. (laughs) All right, on to the next question. I believe Jesus defeated the devil, and we have power over him. But why was he left alive, oh, to tempt, etc.? Why didn't Jesus just eliminate him? I'll take this one, I guess. I guess a short answer is, uh, I don't know. (laughs) But I have have some, uh, I have some thoughts about it from Scripture. Um, so I go back to the beginning. So why? So the, basically the essence of the question is, why didn't Jesus just totally defeat the devil? Why didn't he just obliterate him? Why didn't he just cast him into the lake of fire where he's not even around anymore? Um, if, you, if you think back to creation, so God created Adam and Eve, and he gave them all of authority. He gave them all power and all dominion. Um, but at the same time, the serpent, Satan, so Satan was on earth, and what I believe was that in God's original plan, he, he planned that Adam and, and Eve would take dominion and take power over the devil in, in, in his reign on earth. Ultimately, Adam and Eve sinned and they fell short and they lost the keys, the authority, and they handed the authority back to the devil. So then for that time, the devil reigned and he had authority on the earth. And Jesus came back. What Jesus did, which Pastor Dwayne talked about on Sunday, is he took the keys back. He took the authority back and he gave it back to us in order to have authority over the devil and over all the demonic powers on earth. So really, why didn't he destroy it? Because God or Jesus was restoring or he was bringing us back to our original purpose, which was Adam and Eve, which was to take dominion over the earth and the devil who was on the earth at that time. Would anyone like to add anything on that? Not in 15 seconds. Not in 15 seconds. There's 12 now. So, all right, moving on to the next question. My spouse is less interested in marital intimacy than I am. What do I do? All right, I'll take this one. Um, my spouse is less interested in marital intimacy than I am. What do I do? And <clears throat> this person is probably hoping that I will read this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 uh, says, Let the husband render to his wife the, due affect- the affection due her, and likewise the wife to her husband. 
The wife does not have authority over his own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and praying. But he probably wasn't hoping I would read the last part, chapter verse 6, which says, but I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. What this means is we get a picture of what God's ideal is. He says, in an ideal marriage, I want you guys to be giving to each other, not holding back. You each belong to each other, but you don't get to beat each other over the head with this if you exceed a certain number of hours or days or anything like that. Not at all. He says, this is, this is an, a picture of what God's ideal is. How do we, <clears throat> what should you do if you're in a relationship and you're more desirous than your spouse? If you're the one who's more desirous, let's look at Luke chapter 638. It says, give and it will be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Luke 631 says, do us unto others as you would have them do unto you. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Christ gave literally his entire life for the bride. And the more that we, in God's economy, when we have a right, we don't demand it. Okay, we turn the other cheek. We serve, we're servant leaders. We give and it will be given unto you. If you're in a relationship and you are the lesser, or the, the greater of the desire, then you go to the other person and you say, what needs do you have that I can fill? What could I do for you? They may not say, you know what, I want you to do this, that, or the next in the bedroom, but they may say, you know what, the kitchen could use some help. So go there, start there, and that is your, your road back. Um, that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's God's way. That's God's economy is giving and not taking. If you are the lesser of desire, then you should look, take a look at 1 Corinthians 7 and recognize, you know what? God is encouraging me to give of what I have that my spouse can get nowhere else. And be mindful of that. And, and as, as you respond to them in love, recognize, you know what? That is something that they desire. And, and be encouraged to, to increase, but nobody has a right to go around beating each other with a Bible verse that, you know, too many days or hours have, have passed. If you're looking for an ideal, it says you should take a break for prayer and fasting. How long can you fast? I've heard that before somewhere. <laughs> okay, next question. Um, last year, I saw Elvis in my backyard with a UFO. Oh, sorry, wrong one. Um, okay, um, are tattoos a sin? If so, um, if so, or if not, why? That's my alarm. All right, I'll take this one. Um, they're asking if tattoos are a sin. All right, um, I think tattoos are a preference. I'm going to give you a Bible verse in the Old Testament. It says, Leviticus 19, 28, do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves, for I am the Lord. Okay? So whenever someone says, oh, that's a sin, see, it's prohibited. Um, so you can see it right there. It's Leviticus 19, verse 28. Right there it is. Uh, you have to understand that was ceremonial law, number one, and it was Old Covenant. 
number two. And, um, but there's, I'm not telling you to go out and get tattoos, but I'm also saying if you have a tattoo, you're not like permanently, you know, um, it's not like you're going to go to hell because you got a tattoo, okay? Um, first of all, I would ask a question. What is the tattoo of? If it's, uh, you know, I have a friend who has a beautiful set of wings from this shoulder to the other shoulder across his back, and it says, and they shall mount up with wings as eagles, and they shall run and not be weary. He's got scripture tattooed on his back. Is he in sin? I'd say no. Um, another person I know has, you know, Isaiah 53 with a, a cat of nine tails uh, tattooed on his forearm. Is he in sin? No. But there's some people that can't receive from him because he has that tattoo, and culturally they go, hmm, tattoo, that's kind of strange. So, I mean, it, it can limit your possibilities if you get uh, a tattoo, because some people are going to be, might be prejudiced against someone having a tattoo. I mean, that's just, it's reality. I don't think it's biblically wrong. I think culturally you could have some challenges. In some arenas, you could have some challenges. Um, the other thing is, if you're going to get a tattoo, I would really strongly discourage you from having a tattoo of something that you don't understand what it means, because you never know what you're tattooing on yourself and what you're calling to yourself, like some foreign language that you don't even know what it means, I'd say you better not do that. And you know, you better know what you're getting put on yourself. Avoid satanic symbols or occult, uh, occult symbols. Avoid that. You don't want that stuff calling all of hell toward you uh, by having it tattooed on your arm. Um, the other, the, the greater question is, why do you want a tattoo? I would just ask you that question. Why do you want one? I'm not looking for an answer. I'm asking you to ask yourself, why do you want one? And if you're, if you're under your parents' authority um, and they're saying you absolutely cannot get a tattoo and you say, well, I'm going to get a tattoo because it's my body, bless God, I'd check your heart and uh, realize that that's probably rebellion. Okay? So, and God has a real hard time blessing rebellion. So um, check your heart. And what do you want a tattoo of? Why do you want one? And uh, if you've already got one, um, I'd say don't worry about it unless it's something like strange occultic symbol, then I'd probably go get it removed, you know. But uh, in and of themselves, tattoos are not sinful, okay, just by having a tattoo. Awesome. We actually hit our time limit, but we can do this quickly. I want, I want to get to two more. Um, really quickly, so Jake, I know this is a hard one to wrap up quickly, um, but I want you to answer this one. Um, it says, what does many are called but few are chosen mean? I think that that's one that we all kind of debate a little bit. So, um, uh, Once again, some context is very important. This is found in Matthew 22. And if you look at the context, Jesus is telling a parable about a, a wedding, and there's a king who's inviting um, all of the the leaders in the community, and none of them none of them come to the wedding, and then he goes out and sends his servants to invite everyone in the community to this wedding, but only some of them show up. And so, and then after this parable, it says that verse: "Many are called, few are chosen." I would rephrase this um, this this saying 
not that I'm changing the Bible, but just to make it easier to understand that all are invited, few are available. Where God has invited all people, God desires all people to be saved, um, but there are the few, the narrow, narrow is the gate that leads to salvation, there are few that actually find it. And I think that's what this verse is actually referring to. Um, not that God doesn't want to choose people, that only he chooses a few people, but there's actually a few people who find and who follow and who uh, go God's way. Cool, thank you. Then we're going to wrap this up with, with one last question. Um, this one's kind of a doozy, um, but it's got a redemptive message at the end. So let me find it really quickly. Okay, so what happens if a child does not have the opportunity to accept Christ and he or she passes away. The, the Bible doesn't come right out and say everyone goes to heaven until they reach the age of 12, okay? It's not quite that simple. I know there's a lot of, uh, um, I'll call it, religious tradition or teaching that, that seems to indicate that, but I think you'd have a hard time coming to a specific verse that says, this is the age of accountability. Um, although it doesn't clearly state that, um, there's no reason to believe that God would not have mercy on those who did not have the cognitive um, ability to make that conscious decision or maybe didn't even have the cognitive ability to discern right from wrong. Um, it says that God, God demonstrates his love for us, that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. So he died for them. And if they have not had the cognitive development to be able to discern right from wrong, um, it, would, it, would, it holds consistently with God's character that he would um, not banish those people from heaven. Okay? It holds true with his, with his merciful character and his God's mercy extends to, uh, to those folks also. And in Romans chapter 7, it says, the Apostle Paul writing, it says, I would not have known sin except for through the law, for I would not have known what coveting was unless the law had said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, it produced in me every kind of covetous desire. It says, for the strength of sin is the law, see? And so apart from the law, sin is dead. Then he says, once I was alive, and then the law came, and I died. So it seems to indicate that um, prior to the ability to cognitively comprehend right and wrong that children and those that are, don't have the cognitive ability to comprehend would be included in those that are allowed to um, go to heaven. Great. So. Great. Thank you. Well, that's all we have time for, for our panel. Um, is there anything that anyone wants to add before we get into worship? We're actually going to worship um, for a few more minutes before we break for the night. It's always good to end on worship, but if, is there anything that came to you guys during this time of discussion that you'd like to add? Okay.
No, we're good. Um, I know that God loves each and every one of us, and God is merciful, and he has a plan for each and every one of our lives. And that's the thing tonight. As we go through these questions, and some of them are all over the board, um, I guess my heart and our heart to you tonight is that God loves you. God cares about every single aspect of your life. He, he wants to be involved in every area of your life, and there's nothing too big, nothing too small, nothing too complex for God to help you with. And uh, as we enter into worship again, I just encourage you to reach out to him in your heart and, and uh, reach out to God at this time of worship. So let's enter in. <laughs> 